So if you take your Bible once again, turn to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. <clears throat> we looked this morning, of course, at the lively hope. And this entire chapter is going to refer back to the lively hope quite a few times because there are things that happen in our lives or there are things that we're going to look at here that are going to always go back to uh, to this foundation of a lively hope. How how do I maintain? And this has been a question that I've had to ask myself. Uh, some of you heard my brief testimony this morning, but I've not always been a believer that's that's had a hold of the truth. I've been a believer since I was nine. But I've not always been a person of the truth. In other words, I've not always been, if you will, uh, convinced of the truth. I think that's probably the best thing to do because uh, to say because the actual truth is you will live out what you really believe. Amen. What you really believe is uh, paramount to the way you're going to live your life. And your life will always reflect what you really believe. You can say you believe a lot of things, but your life bears out what you really believe. And, and that's kind of where this is going to go here in these next few verses. Uh, I, I Honestly, this is not a portion of the uh, chapter that I always preach. In fact, I don't think, I think this might be the second time I've ever preached this particular message, but God, the Holy Spirit pressed upon me today that this is a necessary part of the next, the transition to the next part of the scripture. So if you'd stand with me and Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. You're already there. Verse number 6 is where we're going to believe. And of course, he's talking about the lively hope and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Tonight I want to, I want to take a little bit of time and, and talk to you what the trial of, of your faith when you go through times of trial, what is, we have this idea that trials are about us. And there is an outcome of trials that God desires in us. Trials are not supposed to be, please listen to me, easy. That's why they're called trials. So how should we, number one, respond? But what is the purpose what happens when someone sees us go through a trial? What should happen? And what can God do through that trial in you? It's amazing to me that in this brief section of Scripture, uh, 
there's something that jumped out at me concerning our lively hope. If you have a lively hope, there is a predicted outcome of the trial. It's interesting. Let's look at that tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us and for your word. And I pray as we look into your word, God, I I do not know uh, the folks here well. Um, Certainly, there's no doubt that there are folks that are enduring trials now or possibly will endure trials to come. I, I don't always understand, honestly, why you have me preach certain things at certain churches and other times not. And so, Lord, I leave that into your hands. And I pray that as the Word of God is opened up tonight, that we would just see what you can accomplish and desire to accomplish in us as we endure uh, certain trials. And certainly, we'll never be on the level that these folks even were in the section of Scripture that we're reading. But I know that, God, you can take this and teach us. And so I pray that you would do that by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, if you know anything about this time, and we've, we've kind of touched on this this morning, these, these people had been dispersed from Jerusalem. They were believers that were leaving uh, from that area. They were dispersed all abroad. There were Jewish members of these churches as well as Gentile members. And they were, they were being persecuted at this time. This wasn't a, this was not a, we don't understand the persecution they were under. In fact, there's been persecution that's happened since that we don't understand. We are, we're not under persecution. Somebody slamming a door in your face is not persecution. Somebody cursing you out because you uh, tried to witness to them. I'm just sorry. That's not persecution. That's nothing. I, I don't even pretend like I understand the persecution that they were going to, but There is something interesting, and that is the attitude toward that persecution. If you go to the book of Acts, uh, whenever uh, whenever, uh, Peter and John were released, the church was thankful and prayed and thanked God for the opportunity to suffer for the name of Jesus. And thank God, that is just, I'm sorry, we, we get a door slammed in our face and we don't come back, we don't go to visitation anymore. Or a friend says, I don't want to hear it. And you go, okay, and we back down. And then we come and tell this big story how we were. They just slapped Jesus right back in my face, man. It was terrible. I'm never witnessing again. We get so discouraged so quickly. And I can't imagine somebody dragging your parents out in the night and taking them to the Colosseum and feeding them to lions or impaling them on poles and using them as torches. Or the Judaizers following them around and in one place they stoned Paul, stoned him, left him for dead. I mean, that's persecution. That's stuff we don't face at all. But if you listen to this, he says, there is heaviness in these manifold temptations. There's a couple things I want to touch on before we get into this, this idea of what God's accomplishing in us. First of all, don't try to be Superman or Superwoman and say, oh, I got this, I'm fine. There's this idea that Christians are supposed to suffer silently and never acknowledge that actually this isn't that easy. It's a bummer. I'm sorry, you lose a child, that's a bummer. It's, you're not, I don't, I've never understood people saying, well, they need to get over it. You just want to kill them. 
in a Christian way, of course. Uh, I never wanted to kill anybody in a non-Christian way, whatever that may be. A Christian way would be baptizing them and holding them under the count of 100. But uh, that's a Christian way. It's a, certainly an alternative. Uh, baptism on the uh, 12th, I believe, is coming up. No, it's, so <laughs> if, if you've done something with Brother Jim, no, don't get baptized. But uh, <laughs> okay, Ron, come back. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's bad when you crack yourself up, guys. All right, let me just tell you that. But um, the truth of the matter is that trials are called trials for a reason. And, and he says... You greatly rejoiced in this receiving of this lively hope, if only for a season, but now you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And the truth is they were paying for being believers. They were paying for it. Especially the reason they left Jerusalem was not because of the Romans. They left Jerusalem because of the Jews and the the attack of the Jews upon the Christian belief. And although the Romans considered uh, Christianity just a sect of Judaism. The truth is, the people who were truly Jews were pursuing them all over. I mean, you read the stories in Acts, and everywhere Paul went, the Jews followed so that they could persecute those who would believe. And in the synagogues, they would persecute those who would believe. And it wasn't, it was a physical persecution, so sometimes they would have to move. And I'm going to tell you right now, moving because you were being persecuted and thrust out of your home, that's not like you're woohoo all the time. I mean, sometimes, honestly, it would get a little tiring to suffer for Jesus. And so he admits, he says, I know that there's heaviness. But the change that he makes here when he talks about these trials gives us the perspective and why staying attached to and anchored to the fact that we have a lively hope is so necessary. How is it that we, as Paul would say, suffer not or sorrow not as others suffer? How do you do that? How do you go through a trial that is at once, at one time very heavy? It's a very heavy thing, yet you consider it something that's good for you. And that's exactly what he's going to address. It, it begins with us remaining anchored to the lively hope. I, I, I'm telling you, as a believer, you can endure a lot of things from a lot of people. You can endure the wrath of the world upon your belief if you understand that this lively hope is where you are anchored to and that the thing that is necessary for you to continue. If you're suffering, like some, I've heard people say that, you know, the disciples, uh, well, uh, even liberals that are call themselves Christians say, well, you know, the fact Christ probably didn't really rise from the dead. It probably was truly uh, just a movement that I, you know, I sometimes watch the history channel. Don't ever do that, especially if it says something to do with the Bible. Because it's never real, it's never true. But oftentimes I watch it just to hear what they're going to say. And I sit there and I see these people from these once very staunch Baptist colleges now saying, well, Christ probably didn't really rise, but these people wanted to propagate His words and His gospel. And so they went out and they, yes, they suffered for their beliefs, but 
but it, it was, you know, it was just part of that time, that day, that age. It wasn't really true that Christ had risen from the dead because everybody knows a person can't rise from the dead. Well, no, a person can't, but God can. And the, the, the difference here is that they're not suffering some, for something that they don't believe. Amen. They're suffering for something they know is the truth. Why? They saw him. Why else? Well, Peter will explain that to us a little bit later. If you stay, Tuesday night's a great wrap-up of this. You should come. I mean, you really should come. If you're, if you're going to need to miss one night, miss tonight and come back tomorrow night. But, um, <clears throat> hey, hey, sit down. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> everybody's going, what? The, the truth is that they believed what they were suffering for. It makes it easier to suffer for something if you believe it. So he says the tri- that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trials are precious because they teach us that this world is not the end. You, you do understand that this, this earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. All of this is going to go pass away. The elements of the earth are going to melt into a fervent heat. God's going to be done with everything and time's going to be over. And this is going to be consumed with a fervent heat. Do you know what that means? This building will not be here. Isn't it crazy how we as Baptists have sacred cows in our life? Like, I don't know many people. I don't know of uh, folks that are actually here, how many, many have been here. But there might be some folks will, that would have gotten upset because they changed the carpet color from the original carpet color, which I don't know what the original carpet color was because I'm colorblind. So first of all, let me explain this to you. I don't care about color. So, uh, but somebody may be upset because they pictured this, well, this first pastor put this in and this is the way. And we do, we have sacred cows in our lives where we, where we uphold the sanctity of an item or a place. And the truth is, that this church does not exist because of this building. This is not the church. It's a building where the church meets. The church is people. And that's why it's important for us to understand that the design and the designer and maker and builder of the church is not a man, but it is Jesus Christ. And God has set forth uh, a design for the church. And do you know, and I'm sure you do, but many people in, in foreign countries meet outside and never get a building, but there's still a church. See, the fact was that even the things that they held precious, watch this, even their very life, their life, this, this tabernacle, I love the Bible calls it a tabernacle because it's just a temporary dwelling place. And the truth is this tabernacle, they said, this is just, Temporary. While they're going through the trials, they're going, man, I'm so glad. Come on. Aren't there days when you think, I hope you do, that you go, I am so glad this is not the end. If this is all there was, take me out now. When I look around at the world, when I look around at the political system, when I look around at things in the Middle East, I'm telling you, if human beings are the last hope for for humanity, we're done. We go. I mean, there's like no reason for us to be here. Now, I'm not promoting anything. So stop looking at me like that. What is he promoting? Suicide? No. 
Kool-Aid, yes, my name is Jones. Uh, here's to you. Anyway, uh, here's to me. Uh, the truth is every trial should teach us that this is just a temporary spot place we're in. This is not the end. And what makes it heavy? Doesn't it seem like when you're going through a t- trial that it, it's like it'll never end? When is it going to be over? So it's amazing when you're tied back to the lively hope, you remember. See, I've been given a home in heaven. They can take everything from me, but they can't take my soul because it belongs to the Savior. They can't take my destiny because he promised that I would be in heaven with him. They cannot take away the hope that I have. The reason they can't take it away is because I don't even know where it is. I'm waiting for it to come to fruition. It's in heaven, but I... Anybody ever been to heaven? We don't know... We just know we're going to be like him. We don't know what that's going to be. But we know that when we see him, we will be like him. This is not the end. This body, I'm 51. It feels like I'm 100. I don't know how 100 feels. But if it it, it feels like 51, I'm ready to be done with this body. You think, well, you're only 51. Some of you are saying, well, if you would, you know, get in better shape like Brother Jim... He's such a hunk of a man. <clears throat> anyway, and then you were waking up because the drool was going down. But um, see, they knew that the trial, this is only for a season. This body is not going to last forever. This particular body, this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. This body is not the body going to heaven. This, these aches, pains, arthritis. Then the trials that I suffer in this body. That means they're not going to last forever. My dad always used to tell us, and this is a very common statement. I'm sure other parents told their kids this. Hey, what doesn't uh, kill you gives you better character. Makes you stronger. But you know what? Sometimes in the middle of those trials... It seems like it's never going to end. When you're tied to the lively hope, you understand this. This is not all there is. My car is not all there is. My house is not all there is. If I lose all of those things, I still get to go to heaven. In all of this, now come on, these people were really suffering for, for the cause of Christ. This wasn't just a time where they were depressed, discouraged, disappointed. I mean, if you read the, the book of Job... Do you know in the book of Job, God never gives Job the explanation for why he suffered? And he never says, this is the way you suffer. In fact, when God responds to Job and his friends, God only speaks of who he is. Do you know, being tied to the lively hope should remind us of who he is when we're in a trial. Because I am not tied to this as the fire gets hotter and hotter and the good things come to the, to the top. There's something that I begin to recognize. 
that God is working in me the things that he wants to work out of me so that I can bring him ultimately honor and glory, praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God is working in me so that whenever I am presented before God, I am presented as spotless and blameless because the things that he's working in me are to make me and conform me more to the image of Christ. And to conform something means it's going to take a little bit of pressure. It's going to take a little bit of doing. It's going to take a little... There's some things in us that are not Christ-like. In Romans chapter number 8, when he begins that uh, dissertation there... Well, let's go back there to Romans chapter number 8 and just look exactly at what is said here. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 24 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. See, a trial reminds me that I, please, I am not where my final destination is. I'm not there. I'm here. I can feel me. I'm here. I feel the pain. Every pain I wake up with reminds me that I'm still here and I'm not in heaven. Every trial I go through reminds me my hope is not yet realized. I have a lively hope. It's living because Jesus Christ is alive. My hope, though, exactly what he says, if we're living in the hope, then we really have no hope to hope for. There's really no real hope. But if we recognize that where we are living is not our hope. Let me stop here and say this. Trials should press you to recognize in yourself that you and I place too much hope in the things of this life. We place too much weight in our position at work or our money or our retirement or perhaps our family. Every trial should press us to this idea that we are not yet where we are going to be at the end of our hope. We've not yet attained. We're not in heaven. We're not in the place. Well, I'm moving there, but I have not yet seen my hope. That's why it's, that's why it's necessary to realize that Jesus Christ is alive. Because honestly, aren't there times in trials where you go, just don't know how long this is going to last. Disappointment, discouragement. Man, I wonder how long this can last. Well, for Paul, it lasted the rest of his life. You mean God might ask me to let this last the rest of my life? Yes. My uh, wife's mother is 90 years old. And... Uh, my wife and I have been married for 32 years, so I've known her mom, of course, well, not well for 32 years, but for the last uh, 10 years, she's lived close, and then for the last five years, she's actually lived in our house because uh, t- to take care of her. And she's a very vibrant woman, very... Uh, she drove until she was 80, She and she drove well. She, I mean, she drove like a speed demon. It was awesome to ride with her. Um, and, uh, I mean, she didn't drive like a little old lady. She was like, <laughs> more like, okay, can you see? Um, 
Did you see that pedestrian we just ran over? Okay, no, never mind. Um, and then she got older. She decided to move in with us. And now, you know what's really hard to watch? Even your mother-in-law. Of course, my, my father is suffering from diabetes. He's lost a leg. And just to see people suffering. And piece by piece, deteriorating before your eyes. And I've got to admit to you, it's not easy watching parents suffer. But I can tell you another thing, and I know it sounds weird, but I know this. This isn't the end for them. They've accepted Jesus Christ. I see my mortality and I begin to understand, you know what? I don't have a long time. The Bible doesn't say your life is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away for no reason. Because that's exactly what it is. So if my hope is based in something that is more concrete, something that's eternal, then as I proceed through the trial, it reminds me that this world is not the end. This is not all there is. Wouldn't it be a miserable life to believe that this world was not the end? You know, let me tell you what would be a more miserable life? To believe that I was going to be reincarnated back into this world. <laughs> Is there no way to stop the madness? I mean, if your life stinks now, why would you want it to stink over and over and over and over? Oh, good. Maybe I'll come back as a butterfly that gets squished on a windshield. Maybe I'll come back as a monkey. Let's not even go there. I, maybe I'll come back as someone's dog. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I was once a great leader, but I hope to come back someday as a, a beautiful butterfly. That's just weird. I'm so glad my hope is not that I'm coming back to this world. Amen. Oh, my soul. Let me out of the cycle. No! If you have to flush me, do it. I don't care. I can't take it. If that is someone's hope, can you see how people would commit suicide? It'd drive them mad. See, a Christian, if they're truly tied to the lively hope, says, my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I'm not worried about what's going to happen afterwards. In Romans chapter number 8, he continues and says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our affirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Aren't you glad that when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit of God knows exactly what you need? I'm so thankful because sometimes in trials, I don't know what to pray. Or I see someone going through. Listen, I've sat with folks who've lost their children. And, and I'm telling you, I, I have no words of comfort. If there was no scripture to refer to and there was no hope that Jesus Christ is truly alive... I truly would have nothing to say at all because I don't get it. But when I hear David said, the child cannot come unto me, but I will go to him. When I read the scriptures and I see 
that how Jesus dealt with the children, and I see the 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 things in First uh, Thessalonians, and I see the dead in Christ shall rise first. Man, I'm telling you what, it makes me so happy that my hope has nothing to do with this world. It's such a blessing. Trials should certainly remind us that this world is not all there is, and this is not all of our hope. Trials are constantly shaping us and helping us to focus on Christ. If you look at this in verse number 8, it says, Whom having not seen ye love... How many of you have seen Jesus with your eyeballs? I'm not talking about a picture. We've really seen Jesus. You know. I've never seen Jesus, but you know what? I sure do love him. Why? Because he's my lively hope. Do you see how this string goes back to the lively hope? If there's no Jesus, why would you love him? If he's not alive, why would you love someone that's dead? I love people who are dead, but they're not my hope. My grandmother was a great woman, but she, there's no hope in her. She's gone. But Jesus Christ is alive. So he says, whom having not seen, ye love in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing. Wow. In the middle of a trial, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What? Watch in verse number nine, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. When I understand that this trial is leading me to to know that this world is not my home. I am just passing through. When I see that this is not the end, then I begin to focus in my trial on something greater than my trial. Something better. A person that I love. A person that's given me a lively hope. Now, I'm not saying, please listen to me. I'm not saying this is your first response. And don't don't get down on people who may be. It just drives me nuts how we Christians judge people who've lost a loved one that was very significant to them, whether it be a child, a mother, a father, maybe an uncle. And I I don't know. But and we always say, well, they need to get over it. Jesus didn't say that. Amen. The Apostle Paul didn't say that. Peter didn't say that. We don't sorrow as other sorrows, but that doesn't mean we don't, we're happy that they're gone. That's not anything of what he's saying. Sometimes we get the idea that people should respond like we do. I'm not, when it comes to, to loss of loved ones, I'm probably not as emotional as, let's say, my wife. And it's not just because I'm a man. It's because... I'm just one of those people who believes a person who dies and go to heaven goes to heaven is so much better off. But you know what? That doesn't make me miss them any less. I see my dad going through this time in his life and I'm struggling with it because he's always been a strong man. You know, he, he was 6'3 as I was growing up. He's losing a leg. Has, he's already lost a leg. The doctor told him just two weeks ago, If anything happens to this leg, you'll lose this leg too. He can't do the things that he used to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's it's disappointing. Now, there are people who are good Christians who would say, well, he should have eaten right. This is God judging him. No, 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 no. 
we have this wrong picture that God's sitting there waiting to judge. We fear no condemnation. God is not sitting there judging us now. There will be a judgment. Don't be mistaken. But not for us. God's not an evil father waiting to punish you every time you step out of line because all of us would have smack marks on us. See, if God was like Brother Jim or me, because I, I agree with him, we're driving down the road. I'm talking about, Lord, could, could we get a little lightning here? That's what I'm talking about. Person in church sleeping. God, could you shock them a little bit? That'd be a Person that you've given the word to and they're not responding to it. No, no, no that's us. God is long-suffering to us, Word. He is long-suffering. He loves us. Don't ever get to the point where you think that God is punishing you just to punish you. That's Greek mythology. That's what the Greeks believed. Our God is a righteous God and judges righteously. He does not do anything without reason. So the focus should be in that trial going back to the lively hope. Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Go to, back to Romans chapter number 8. He says this and he that are, and verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, I don't know. I can't predict this and I won't. But I don't believe that Christians in America I believe there's going to come a time where we're going to truly begin to suffer for what we believe. And I'm talking about specifically Baptist. It's already weird to me. I was reading an article today in the USA Today. And they were talking about conservative fundamental movements that are a danger to America. We're in that group. Why? Because we believe the Bible. See, Nero was able to use the Christians and blame them for the fires because they were people who were waiting for the fire to end the world. And so it was just a natural thing for people, uh, even the Romans, to begin to agree with persecuting the Christians. Here, he says, even when you're in those moments, remember the person you love. The person you haven't seen, yet you still love. Remember in the trial that there is available joy unspeakable and full of glory to bring him, if you go back to verse number 7 again, praise and honor. Everything working together in our life is to conform us to the image of his son. If God be for us, if he's working in us in that way, we can endure it knowing that the end result is worth the trial. I can be patient. I may not be completely thrilled about my trial, but isn't it amazing 
How God gives you grace to suffer in the trial and really experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm always amazed. I'm watching my dad, yet at the same time, I'm enjoying the time with him. That's weird. I know that he has asked Christ to come into his heart and life. I know that. If you if you're right there in Romans, look look up just at verse number eighteen in Romans, in chapter eight. Look look what he says here. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Every trial, every pain, every moment that I'm discouraged, here's what I should be able to do. Know that however bad it gets here, it's going to be a million times better there. It's hard to do, but that's how you get joy and unspeakable and full of glory. That's how you glorify God in the trial. Then back in our text in verse number 10, it says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Here's something that the prophets cannot understand. They don't understand this grace. They don't understand Holy Spirit indwelling. They don't understand that. They don't understand this time. They were looking at a, from a hill over across to another hill. They were looking at two hills, but they, they saw Jesus suffering. They saw the kingdom, but they didn't see the church in between. And it's, it's a mystery to them that Gentiles could ever become people who would bring honor and glory to God. Ephesians tells us that the angels look and they say, God, you're a wise God. That these things were hid from the principalities and powers in God. I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing, this time that we live in. So the trials that we go through are pointing even the prophets and the, the angels are looking and the Bible says they want to look into these things. They don't understand how God's grace could be sufficient in times of need. How God could live in his people and glorify himself at the same time. It's amazing, but the trial is never about us. It's always about God. In fact, salvation is not about us. It's about God being glorified. Your successes, the blessings, are about God being glorified. And aren't those the easy times to thank God and glorify Him? Yet in the times of trial and tribulation, people should see even more the glorification that God deserves because of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we don't suffer as others. And we don't sorrow as others. There is something different. Listen, folks. The truth is that when you're tied to the lively hope, you remember that. That this is a time unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels 
desire to look into these trials, these times of testing. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm talking about these people were going through something unbelievable compared to what we would ever. I mean, a, a hangnail stops us from coming to church. Or, I'm sorry, I couldn't get my hair right. I just couldn't go to church. It's so terrible. And that's a guy. Uh, <laughs> it's really sad. Very sad. <laughs> I just couldn't get that one hair to turn up. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, they need man camp, by the way. <laughs> I just love that. I just, I, it's in my brain. I'll never forget it. It's sad. I can't let it go. Um, the truth in our lives that needs to be realized is that it is the lively hope that we have in Christ that keeps us or separates us from those who do not have a lively hope. So what is the conclusion? The conclusion should always be at the end of the trial, when I look back, I'm not talking about every day and I'm not talking about every moment. I don't think it's humanly possible for us to do this. But I do believe that by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit indwelling, that you and I should be able to look back and say, God received honor and glory here in my trial. When we think that this world is our end and our hope, that's never accomplished. When we are tied to the fact that we believe that this trial is going to last forever and the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that God can be glorified, so that people will see God. The question is, do people see honor and glory in you when you're in a trial? And and again, I've tried to be very careful to explain to you. I'm not one of these people who thinks you should be jumping up and down every bad thing that happens. Oh, my soul. That is crazy. But are there points in your trial that you've gone through or that you will go through perhaps that people will look back and say, you know, this person, only God could let a person go through like this. No doubt you've probably seen people who've been in great loss and affliction. Yet they've always been a blessing to you. You've gone to encourage them. There was a lady, I don't know if you remember her, the um, lady who was 93 years old, that Mrs. Monette, yeah. And uh, we would take turns going over and reading the Bible to her as she was on her deathbed. And she always greeted you with a smile. She was so happy that we were there. And I would say, Mrs. Monette, what do you want to hear today? She'd go, oh, just, just read a song. And I'd start reading the psalm and she'd lay there and shake her head. And I would think every time I came away from there, man, that's glory to God. She is a lady who's dying with grace. If she can do it, God's enabled me to do it too. Now, come on, the greatest trial we're going to face is how we're going to die. Some people say, well, I don't. no, I'm telling you, when we face our trial of death, 
will we say we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? I fear no evil. When you lose a loved one, are you going to be able to glorify God in those moments so that people will just see this for, for maybe even a few minutes? They see Christ and not you. It's amazing to me, and I, and I don't say this in any accusatory tone, but it is amazing to me how that we've left the ability to praise God in our lives, in, in all things, to be thankful in all things, to be able to give God honor and glory and praise, no matter what the situation is. And we start looking like the world. So when the world sees us and they see nothing different in us, what is the hope that we're offering them? I didn't say it was going to be easy. And I certainly, I hope you understand, I don't think these people had it easy, but Peter's telling them, you know what? In this trial, remember this, this isn't the end. This isn't all there is. In in this trial, remember Christ, look back to Christ, look back to that lively hope, and you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's nothing more disappointing to me than to go to a restaurant with someone who says they're a Christian and when they don't get their meal exactly right, they rip the waitress who didn't even make the stupid thing or the waiter. And I've been with preachers like that and it gets on me big. Not because I was a waiter or waitress, because I was. I was a waitress, no. Uh, Have you ever wondered why you said something the way you said it and you go, idiot. Anyway, um, no, I do it all the time. Um, and I, I watch them and the way they react. And I, I say this, what? so how do we witness to that person now? H- how do we tell them about our hope? Okay, watch this. That's not a trial. That's an inconvenience. When the trial comes, will you have a lively hope to offer the world that's around you watching you? Well, will the angels who are looking into these things look and go, oh God, in Ephesians chapter 3, you are so wise. This is to your honor and glory how you do this. And people who were, please listen, no people. But now we're the people of God. These people who had no hope, you gave them hope and they look at you and they glorify you in all things. Wow, you're a wise God. You know, today our young people, many of our younger married people are moving away from what we believe because we've been so bent on making people different on the outside. Instead of God being able by the Holy Spirit of God and circumstances, trials, relationships, situations that come in our lives, by shaping us and molding us in the image of Christ. So we're so tied, we're so tied to the world and the way things are that we lose track of the one we're to bring honor and glory to in the first place. And that's Jesus Christ. To Him be honor in the church forever. 
We're not here honoring and glorifying men. We're not honoring and glorifying uh, movements. And, and please understand, I don't mean Baptists are a movement. I believe that Bible believers. I'm talking about movements. There's movements that glorify themselves. So when the trial comes, here's what happens. We start to focus on us and the now instead of getting past the now and focusing on the lively hope. And the truth is, every trial, every pain in your body, you should go, this is not the end. Boom! A death in the family, a death of a loved one. What greater hope is there to know that you will be reunited with them in heaven? My soul! There's some hope! And you'll be glorifying God in heaven! Wow. And then to know that you can be involved in through this trial. The prophets of the Old Testament. The angels in heaven looking into these things going. I mean, the angels have no understanding of redemption. That's amazing in itself. But the prophets saying, I can see. I don't know. I don't know that this happens, but. I think when God began to move and Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecies, I think there was a lot of this going on in heaven. Oh. 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 Yeah. Can I tell you something? When we get to heaven, I'm convinced that we're going to look back and go, Oh, now I see. The lively hope is he's already seen it. He knows. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Again, we're going to have a word of prayer and I'm going to ask Brother Jim to come. But folks, I'd like to just encourage you tonight. To be tied to the lively hope. When that trial comes, and it will, it'd be a blessing to look back and know you glorified God in it. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us and for your word.